0: Good morning. I was thinking about what went through my head when I was a child in church worshiping. And the purpose of why I was there was really kind of unknown to me. It was kind of this mystery. It was like, well, you you, you go to church to kind of get God to be on your side. To do things for you, so he'll be happy with you and not angry with you. And the church I was in there long, flowery prayers, just, you know, deadly sermons, long hymns. <laughs> there was no engagement in my family with Jesus outside of the church service. Um, it was kind of a department of your life. You kind of had to check the box, yeah, we go to church. Um, no impact on how I was developing, how I was living, the choices I was making. Uh, it, was, it wasn't completely useless. I can still remember some of the you know, Bible stories and things, but never heard the gospel preached from the pulpit about Jesus being the Son of God who lived the perfect life I failed to live and died in my place and conquered death by rising from the dead. Never preached. And so I was thinking, what do our children think? We don't have a lot in this service. We have more in the next service. But what do our children think? Or when they go to Sunday school, what, what do our visitors think when they, maybe they get dragged here by some, their mother or that they're visiting or to something on Mother's Day? And, and just, what are these people doing? Why are, what's the purpose? Why do they come to church? I imagine there are even adults who have been participating for years. And they still kind of scratch their head and say, why go to worship on Sundays? You, you realize that the phenomenon in our culture right now is that people are going less and less to worship. People who used to worship twice a month, they're now down to once a month, many of them. And part of that is confusion about the purpose of a church, about the purpose of coming to worship. So I, I want to be extremely clear today. And one of my favorite passages that has influenced my entire ministry for over four decades, I want to use that today because it's very clear. So, would you open to what Joan just read to us? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. It'll be on page 953. Page 953, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm always excited when we experience technical difficulties. Uh, I I did the PowerPoint from here today, and it didn't translate. To our computer. The reason I did it from here is the power was off at my house. So, technical difficulties, because in my experience over decades of ministry, is that when you have technical difficulties, the Holy Spirit more than makes up for it. So, I'm excited to see what happens today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 10, I hope you'll keep it open. We'll be going back to that various times. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, Paul is the founder of the Corinthian church to which this is written. Corinth was um, a, a crossroads where all the, almost much of the uh, commerce went through it in order to, to save days of travel time by boat and safer waters and so forth. So it was kind of like the Las Vegas of the ancient world with people from all over the world, lots of wealth, lots of different languages, and very cross-cultural. Big cities today are similar to that. And Paul is their spiritual father. He brought them the gospel. They turned their lives over to Jesus. But if you read 2 Corinthians, you discover that they broke his heart. They bought into some powerful speakers who badmouthed Paul and just broke his heart. Now, in this first chapter, there's a bunch of problems. First Corinthians is known as the letter to the church with a bunch of problems, and they lack unity, and they're arguing, and there's divisions, and you know, they're misunderstanding how to use their spiritual gifts. They're not loving each other well. Some of them are actually getting drunk at their potlucks. Um, that is not how I would describe us here at CPC. You are loving and encouraging. You're united. No one gets drunk at our potlucks or beach parties. Now, I would love to see us, God just pour upon us more obviously powerful, supernatural, spiritual gifts so that more people get healed or they come and they, God just speaks to their hearts and they're convicted and they turn their lives over to Jesus knowing, wow, God must be here. But in general compared to other churches during the past 2,000 years, compared to the church at Corinth, you are a wonderful group. And we've even got some objective data to to confirm that. Three years ago was the last time we used an outside agency called Natural Church Development, we call it NCD for short, um, to do a survey here. And we'd done it for about 10 years. It was the first time that the results came back that were incredibly encouraging. Um, Natural Church Development, they survey, they ask you how we're doing in eight different areas of quality, things like hires your small group and you know the worship services and evangelism and things like that. And um, the, the score that came back put us in the top 4% of all churches that they've ever surveyed. They've surveyed over 60,000 in terms of quality, not in terms of quantity or anything, but just in terms of how we were doing on those eight areas. Now, many of you know, unfortunately, some things went wrong after that. And uh, we did actually get some of the lack of unity and quarreling and factions um, like the church at Corinth. Our our difficulties barely impacted this group for the traditional service. If you look around, we actually have more people in here than we did a few years ago. Um, But the contemporary service was impacted a great deal. So we are in a phase of rebuilding uh, to improve in various areas, to become more resilient for the future. And I think it's an incredibly exciting moment. We're actually looking for, if you don't know, we're looking for our next senior pastor, uh, my successor as I retire. And part of that, part of the reason for this brief sermon series is we want to be super clear about who we are, about what our purposes are, about how we plan to carry out those purposes, and what kind of senior pastor we want next to help us with that. Now, I personally... I'm extremely enthusiastic about this transition, super curious to see who who God's going to lead to us and us to to that person. And and of course, I also am curious about, you know, what's my ministry going to look like in my retirement? But it is an exciting time. And part of this is we just want to be clear. So please pray multiple times each week for God to lead us to his choice for our next senior pastor and to lead that senior pastor to us. Let's stop and pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us as a group. And it's just exciting to see how people love each other here and the impact in their small groups. We pray that you would be right now putting on the heart of our next senior pastor, um, just directing that person to us and directing our wonderful pastor nominating committee, our PNC, to that person. Give us real clarity, um, just supernaturally direct us and help us to remember to pray about this every week several times. Also today, Lord, as we go through this message with technical difficulties and no PowerPoint, Holy Spirit, we ask you to overwhelm us with your presence and speak to each of our hearts that we would know, we'd hear your voice and it would make a difference. We'd know we'd been with you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, who are we? What are our purposes? How do we plan to carry them out? Look at verse 11. I hope you still have that open. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Now, in theology, we say we are saved by the person and work. Of Jesus Christ he is the divine son of God because he is God he was able to leave a, live a perfect life which you frankly don't lead he also because he was God was able to take all the punishment that all the sins of humankind de- deserved which he would not have been able to do if he were not divine no human could his work was to live the perfect life we all fail to live experience in our place the punishment we all deserve and then conquer death by rising again Now, that's a summary of the person and work of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done. It's the good news. It's the gospels. And if you don't believe some part of that, then you're very welcome here. We're glad you're here. You may be in process kind of checking Jesus out, but but that's what we believe at this church. And those are the classic historical, biblical, essential beliefs of the Christian faith. Jesus himself is the foundation. We believe in the person and work of Jesus, but it's not impersonal. When we believe in that, it brings us to the point of we actually love him. I told you some things last week about religion in the ancient world. They didn't love their gods. As a rule, they just kind of tried to placate them and work with them. When we love Jesus, he comes and makes his home with us. He says in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him And make our home with him. So from that time, our relationship with Jesus, not just that we believe the right stuff, our relationship with Jesus makes him the foundation in our lives. Now he's not merely a department in our lives like religion was when I was a child growing up. Yeah, we checked that box. Okay, now on to what we really want to do. Jesus becomes the center foundational to everything else. He becomes our king and our Lord. That's often the sticking point for many people in not wanting to become Christians because you have to turn your life over to Jesus. It's not a department. He's the center. He's the foundation. Because he loves us, wants what's best for us, he actually transforms us, makes us into people who love better. Remember last week we talked about our, our messaging, which is be loved, love God. Love others. It's a great summary of what we're about here. As our foundation, our king, our Lord, Jesus directs us much as a parent, directs a, a toddler or a child as they grow up. To, we, we train our children to behave, to love better, to, be, to love others as we, as we want to be loved. If Jesus is your foundation, then you believe what the Bible says about who he is and what he's done, the person in work. You love him. He is the center of your life. And although you are imperfect and fail and need to repent and come back and ask forgiveness, basically, you follow him. He's in charge of your life. Now, at this church, we believe there can be no other foundation than this. Jesus is the foundation. So the question some of you need to ask today is, Jesus, your foundation? If not, if what I'm describing doesn't resonate with you, for many of you, like, okay, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But for some of you, it's like, what? What? That's what it means? Yeah, that's what it means. You can make him your foundation today. You can experience this amazing love and this relationship of having God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, come and make their home with you. And it'll change you forever. So back to our text. See, that's but that's really meant to be the beginning of what God always intended. There's an adventure with Christ that comes after that. What comes next? Verse 12 The only foundation in Christianity is Jesus. Belief in his person and work, loving him, having a relationship with him, building your life upon him, your foundation. But people build in different ways. Some build wisely. Some build foolishly. Paul is specifically addressing people here who are helping others build on their foundation. People like me, pastors or teachers or parents. Lots of different types of people who are trying to help others build on that foundation. But it also applies specifically to individuals as they make decisions about how they're going to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, you, metaphorically, Paul refers to wise building materials as gold, silver, and precious stone to build on a valuable edifice. Also, you can build unwisely with wood, hay, and straw, cheap materials. To what are these metaphors referring? They're referring to your development as a follower of Jesus. So now I'm not going to have you turn to it, but you'll have to listen carefully because it's not going to be on screen. I'm going to look at a passage we looked at a few months ago that in one sense describes what Paul is talking about, but with more detail. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, and and Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So part of your development as a follower of Jesus with the foundation of Jesus is to be equipped or trained or prepared to use your spiritual gifts and your talents to bless others in ministry, to serve, especially the body of Christ, but also others who are not yet followers of Jesus. He then continues, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God. So part of your development is developing your ability to serve others and your your gifts in service, your spiritual gifts to help to bless others. And part of it is your knowledge, that you have a biblical worldview, that you understand correctly the basics about Jesus and beyond the basics. And then he continues, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is about your character. Becoming like Jesus, transformed into his likeness, having the fruit of the Spirit. So we see three things here that as we talk about building wisely on the foundation of Jesus, part of it is you become trained to do ministry. Another part of it is you develop a biblical worldview. You learn things. Another part of it is this third one of maturity in Christ, character development. And then he he says, and I'll read this to you. I, I know it's long, not on screen. makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, what's our messaging? Be loved, love God, love others. I hope that all of this, for those of you who've been here for a while, that it kind of resonates. You go, yeah, that that sounds familiar. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. That's who we are. We are about this kind of development. The foundation is Jesus. We become convinced about who he is, what he's done. We love him. He lives in us. We turn our life over to him, and he transforms us. But in that transformation process, every day, we make choices about what we will build on that foundation. I shared with you last week again about the aha moment that I had when I was preparing a year ago for our uh, series on the Reformation, commemorating the Reformation, the 500th year. And the fantastic Roman Catholic historian Brad Gregory from Notre Dame, uh, who I I listened to a couple of times, twice his series of lectures on this, Um, he used the phrase passive Christian to describe the vast majority of people who lived in Western Europe before the Reformation. Now, after the Reformation, as I said last week, both the engagement of Roman Catholics and of Protestants, the engagement with Jesus was much higher percentage-wise in the population than it was before the Reformation. Another way of saying this is that a higher percentage of people were intentional about building wisely on the foundation of Jesus. My aha moment came when I realized I had been unfairly complaining about the American church for decades, that my, now, my opinion now is with all of our flaws and all the things we could do better, it's, it's actually amazing the kind of maturity and how the percentage of people who are intentionally trying to build wisely on the foundation of Jesus Christ in this very large, diverse country. It's, it's something probably not seen in human history from my point of view. Not passive Christians, but engaged followers of Jesus. But I also shared with you last week that statistically we're headed in the wrong direction regarding the future. That younger generations are less engaged, that there's a lower percentage of followers of Jesus, that they're not actively building wisely on the foundation of Jesus to the degree that the older generations are. And part of us looking at who we are and our purposes, and who we want our next senior pastor to be is facing the daunting task of reaching future generations with the gospel. We must be mature enough to sacrifice our preferences while maintaining essentials in our biblical worldview, but sacrificing our preferences in order to reach future generations. We have to be mature enough to give generously so that we can have a robust, wonderful staff to reach the student population. If your opinion or attitude is, well, I'm doing my part, but those younger generations are not. I'm not going to give more while they give so little or even do not give it all. All right, now, don't get too upset with me as I say this. If that is your attitude, then you need to grow up grow up in Christ, become more mature. See, Jesus gave it all. Knowing that most people would reject him, knowing that the gate is narrow and the way is hard and few are those who enter by it, but also knowing that one day you would come to know him because of all the sacrifices of previous generations. I grew up in a non-Christian family that went to a liberal Presbyterian church where the gospel was not preached. I went to buildings we didn't help pay for. I heard Bible stories um, from volunteers. I eventually turned my life over to Jesus through the ministry of of young life. I didn't pay the salaries of those people that were helping me. I, I went to camp. I didn't help buy that camp. Actually, one of the elders from this church who's now passed away did help buy that camp. It was amazing when I met him when I got here. About three years after I became a follower of Jesus, I started giving 10% of my income, which wasn't much at all, to the Lord. And ever since that, Janice and I were always given, given that or more. But before that, who paid for the Christian camp where I became a Christian? Who, play, prayed for the, played, who paid for the buildings where I learned about Jesus and the vehicles that drove me? The first time I ever had the privilege of investing in a building that would hopefully serve many generations to come was when we all rebuilt all of this a privilege. Before that, I'd just been blessed by the generosity of previous generations. It's always been that way. It's supposed to be that way. We follow in Jesus' footsteps and we sacrifice our preferences and we give generously to reach future generations and if we don't, the church will well, the church won't die, but someone else will have the privilege of reaching the next generation. We want to help the next generations build gold and silver and precious stones on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so it's our privilege to give generously, trust God by entrusting the money to our wonderful elders, not knowing which students or children or young families will end up turning their lives over to Jesus. So if you look at the younger generations and you get miffed, get over it. Be more like Jesus. We, wonderful people who came before us, sacrificed for us. Sacrifice your preferences, that can be hard. Give generously so we can reach future generations. Have you heard the stories this summer from Luke and Amanda and on the video? Our young people going on houseboats or to camp and turning their lives over to Jesus. Not all, that, that has to do with the Holy Spirit, but it also has to do with the fact that many of you are so generous that we can afford to have this wonderful staff working with students. So if you're not currently involved in that and you're miffed at the younger generations, you're missing out. I hope you'll start. The elders are trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to have to work with? Start. We want to do the very best we can for everyone here, especially for future generations, and it is getting harder. Okay? Okay. How important is it that you build wisely on the foundation of Jesus, whether you're me as a pastor and I'm building, helping you build on your foundation or you individually thinking, okay, what choices am I going to make today in terms of long-range eternal stuff and what I would really have fun doing? Well, continuing on, verse 13, I hope you still have that open. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, the Bible is not clear regarding rewards in heaven. You cannot earn your salvation. That is clear, but not because you've really earned it, but graciously, it's also clear that we are rewarded in some way in heaven. There are many passages in the New Testament that state this fact. It's clear that Every choice you make in this life is important and will influence your experience of eternity. Now, another way to look at this, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, rather train yourself in godliness for while bodily training is of some value. And we have tons of people in our culture really into bodily training. Godliness is of value in everywhere as it holds promise for the present life. You will actually be more fulfilled, happier, many things if you are Becoming more like Jesus, train yourself in godliness, promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Dallas Willard loved to say, you take your character with you. Now this ties into our main passage today. If God's purpose is to transform us into the image of Jesus, which means to make us more godly, then building wisely on the foundation of Jesus is perhaps mostly, but at least certainly in part, about the development of your character the development of godliness. How can godliness or character hold promise for the future? What could Dallas Willard mean by you take your character with you? The way I look at it, the way I find most helpful, and again, exactly how it works is not clear in the Bible. So I'm speculating to some degree in trying to help us all is, is like this. When you intentionally cooperate With the Holy Spirit and becoming more like Jesus, it changes your character. And as you become more like Jesus, is a sense in which perhaps what happens in the next life is that increases your capacity to experience God, to appreciate, experience, worship, love his beauty, his power, his creativity, his His glory. And so, if you really don't take it very seriously, as the passage says, you're saved as one going through the fire, but you suffer loss, then maybe you're just you know, just a little cup. And probably all cups, all of us were filled, actually, I'm gonna do this, to overflowing in the next life. But there's so much more capacity, depending on your character, to overflow and experience the love of God. It's like a wire, a copper wire. A thin copper wire can carry a certain amount of current. A big copper wire can carry much more current. Your experience of eternity will be enhanced the more you become like Jesus. I do not know for sure that that is all that works in rewards, but it's certainly a part of it. Everyone will experience God's love to the point of overflowing. It could be that the way rewards work is that you will have a greater capacity if you make choices to build on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones. See, we worry way too much about this life. And once again, as we talked about prosperity last week, prosperity does that to us. The more you have, the more you tend to worry about it. God has told us very clearly, this life is temporary, the next life is eternal. Make choices that will enhance your experience of eternity instead of all the worries and trying to keep up with everybody here. So in our principal text today, Paul is urging us to build wisely. It's actually easy for individuals and churches to build unwisely. It's harder to build Wisely. So, to help us stay on track, we are committed to five purposes. You could say, state these in various ways, you could state more or fewer, um, but we have five that we really want to, to look at because our mission is to make disciples and grow Christ like followers of Jesus for generations to come. But there are five key areas that we feel like if we can stay focused on these, if we can make sure we don't lose these in all that we're doing, it will help us to stay on track in making those disciples. The first one is pretty obvious from that, it's discipleship, that we want people to know and to grow and to follow. See, once someone has begun to follow Jesus, we want to help them know the right things, to be- develop a biblical worldview, as we read earlier in Ephesians 4, to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So there is importance in terms of what you actually believe, that's important. But then also we want them to grow in character, and. Again, from what we just read earlier in Ephesians 4, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we, then thirdly, we put our practice and our, we put our knowledge and our character into practice, and we actually follow Jesus. No longer walking as the Gentiles do, that passage says. So one of our five purposes to keep us on track is discipleship. Now, all of these things that I'm saying to you, they were gonna be on screen, So it's very easy to kind of, well, it's not on screen. I can't keep track of this. So I'm going to try and kind of keep it a little simpler. But the first one then of our purposes is discipleship in which we want people to know and to grow and to follow. The second one is community. We really feel that people need to gather. They need to connect. They need to feel love. They need to feel that they belong. In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about how important it is for us to urge each other on to good works and not neglect meeting together. And so many people have. So many people have. You can't have 300 best friends, but you can have a small group that really knows you and loves you warts and all. And that's what we want here for you. And so constantly, one of our purposes of community means we we are constantly inviting you to be part of a small group. And we hope if you're not you will become one. The third thing, discipleship, community, ministry, and that's what we were talking about earlier, that all of us have been given spiritual gifts, so we want to develop eyes, spiritual eyes, to see needs, both in the body and out in the world, and then use our gifts to serve and eventually to share, quite naturally, what Jesus is doing in our lives. Fourthly is worship, discipleship, community, ministry, worship. When the devil offered the world to Jesus, he said, I'll give it all to you if you will fall down and worship me. And what did Jesus say? Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And In Revelation chapter 4 and elsewhere, we see all of creation worshiping God. If you have the foundation of Jesus Christ, you you believe in the person and work, who he is and what he's done, and you, you love him, and he's in your life, the natural response is worship. The natural response is to be amazed and learning new things and just so grateful. But it's different when we worship together than when we worship apart. We need to worship together. And all down through Christian history, the church has made it the habit of once a week gathering, remind each other of the gospel, and praise God together, and that is going by the wayside in this country, as we talk about the statistics of oncoming generations, and and even some of you. So I would urge you. We're going to keep emphasizing that here. We think that there's something that happens when we worship together that doesn't happen when you merely do it on TV. Please make the commitment. You see, whether you see it or not, you are becoming more like whomever you worship, at least in your attitude. I mean, even if you're worshiping some athlete that you could never measure up to, you're still kind of into the Athletic thing, or if you're some singer, or or Warren Buffett, or whoever it might be. If you worship Jesus, you will become more and more like Him. So we need to practice looking up to Jesus together, exalting Him, honoring Him, celebrating Him, and that will help to keep us on track. And then of the five, finally, we have discipleship, community, ministry, worship, and outreach. We need to become a body, and. Admittedly, of all the areas, this one we're, we're not quite as adept at. Where we just naturally share what God is doing in our lives with people. Where we, we serve them, we love them, we pray for them, and we get to the point where we just naturally share with them what God is doing. We go and we tell them, we invite them into things that we're doing so they can come and see how you love each other, so they can see what God is doing, they can hear the stories. So we do both go and tell and ask them to come and see As I shared last week, I believe the prosperity of the world is making this more and more difficult. So we will probably have to dedicate more time, more resources, more sacrifices if we're going to reach upcoming generations. But if we keep these five purposes in front of us discipleship, community, ministry, worship, and outreach if we keep them in the forefront as we're dreaming, as we're thinking, as we're finding our staff, uh, if we keep them in mind as we pray to God to lead us to a spectacular new senior pastor, as we, all of this will go a long ways in helping us to accomplish the mission of making disciples for generations to come and not simply going into decline. With my, with my imminent retirement, I've been doing a lot of thinking. Um, what makes a church flourish? Uh, what takes a church into decline? Is it any one thing or or several different factors? For almost 35 years, I was an ordained Presbyterian pastor in the denomination that I grew up in, that one that I was telling you about where I would sit there and it was uh, deadly. That denomination has now been in decline for about 60 years with fewer and fewer people in it. This church and many others left, transferred out of that denomination uh, some years ago. We are now in a a denomination called a covenant order of Evangelical Presbyterians, I know it's quite a mouthful. We just call it Eco. Say with me, Eco, Eco. There you go. You got it. Um, just keep it short. But we are super pleased with this new denomination. That you know, finally, we share our beliefs. It's a breath of fresh air. But why has our former denomination been in decline for decades? Well, part of the reason is their beliefs. They no longer share our classic historical biblical beliefs in some key areas. But there are also churches that do share our beliefs that have been in decline for some time. Now, one of those was our sister church in Pacific Grove, Mayflower. And although they shared our beliefs, they were in decline for about 10 years. I met with one of their elders, and we offered some help to try to put into place just a fantastic ministry team. Uh, We knew it would cost more than they had. We said we'd help to raise some of the difference and so forth. Um, that person was, that fantastic new senior pastor was put into place a little over a year ago, a year and a month ago, and they've almost tripled in size, have tons of new families, little kids running around. Everybody's super excited. Um, They're focusing on the basics of worship and ministry and outreach and discipleship and community. Great things are happening. If we will keep these purposes in front of us, if we will remember that we're not here to get miffed at future generations, but we are here to live and die for them and serve and give generously and do all that we can, not to serve our own preferences, but to reach the future generation, I, I think our best years are ahead. I think it's going to be just super excited. We will be you know, guided by this mission of making disciples for generations to come, and we'll keep these five purposes as we do it. And we'll stay on track. And I just look forward, years from now, coming back to visit and going, wow, that's amazing. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we, we know this is your church. Jesus, this is your church. And we are so grateful that we get to be part of it. And we ask that you would make us more like you. That we would be so excited at the privilege that we have of investing in future generations of building both in our lives and theirs with precious stones and gold and silver that would stand the test of fire and that we could see uh, this movement among our students continue and bless their families and bring more students in. And We thank you so much for what you're doing. And we ask that we would always keep these purposes in mind and that that you would keep us on track through them. But most of all, that your spirit would work very powerfully here beyond anything we could imagine to reach our community and to help us uh, build wisely on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's in whose name we pray. Amen.